0: LWAG Talks is Lawrence Wilson Art Gallery's new podcast, bringing you insights and ideas with artists, curators, educators,
1: writers, and more. Hi, I'm Jeremy Passmore. I'm a Fine Arts and History of Art student at UWA.
2: And I'm Maya Quinn. I'm a History of Art major with a minor in English and Cultural Studies at UWA.
1: And, and
2: uh, I work on the Lawrence Wilson Art Gallery... <laughs> Student advisory committee and really excited today and before we get fully into the questions in an acknowledgement of country so we wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we're meeting on the Wajuk people and we wish to acknowledge and respect their continuing culture and their contribution they make to the life of this city and this region.
1: And with that, we'd like to welcome today Sophie Nelson and Michael Houston from the Burnt Museum of Anthropology, co-curators of the Burnt's upcoming digital exhibition, Expressions of India, from the Ronald M. and Catherine H. Burnt Collection. Guys, could you please tell us a little bit about your work for the Burnt and how you got involved working there?
0: Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having us, guys. It's really exciting to be able to speak to you today on this podcast. So I'm Sophie, and I'm the curatorial assistant here at the Burnt Museum. I studied here at UWA and completed an arts practicum as part of my degree here at the Burnt Museum. Super fun and gave me lots of insight into the museum world. From there, I volunteered for about a year, which was a solid slog but very rewarding before I was given a position here, which was awesome. Great working here. My role now predominantly involves assisting in exhibition development and research. But I also work on digitising and accessioning the photographic collections. Yeah, so, and I also make a lot of copies. Very, <laughs>
1: very important, important job, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> super important. <It> is.
3: <laughs> I'm Michael Houston, like Sophie, I'm an alumni from UWA as well. I did a bachelor of fine arts. I worked in the commercial art industry for about 10 years, predominantly working with uh, indigenous Australian art forms. I trained as a conservator, which is why I was brought on at the Burnt, to bring their painting collection to a displayable and stable standard, which we achieved, yay. (laughs) And since then, I've kind of managed to stick around, (laughs) as you do, and I'm often kind of called upon to review and consult on the condition of objects and their continued preservation. I also assist where I'm needed, whether with access requests or cataloguing, digitisation and so on. Oh, and obviously exhibition production. <laughs> Just another hat to put on. Yeah.
2: Well, great. Well speaking of exhibition production, can you tell us a bit about this exhibition and how it
0: came about? Sure. So Expressions of India was originally envisioned by our past director who had a strong interest in revitalising the Asian collection held here at the museum, which predominantly comprised of the large bequest of Ronald and Catherine Burns' private collection of Asian material, which is near a thousand items, so it's quite a extensive collection.
3: Yeah, Um, also like with the university's, well I don't know if you guys know much about it, but we're often bombarded with it, the university's 2030 strategic plan, they're putting a lot of influence on our place in the Indian Ocean Rim. Mm. So with such a prominence on that, we kind of deemed it an opportune time to showcase materials celebrating uh, the culture of some of our neighboring nations.
2: Yeah, great. Sophie, you mentioned thousands of objects and art objects. And how did you go about researching those pieces or the ones in this exhibition? Did I say
0: thousands? I meant near a thousand. We have thousands of objects here, but yeah. for that particular yeah. quest. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's around like 960. I rounded it up. But yeah, so obviously we had the focus on India, and we, through the process of things that we wanted to explore, we decided to choose three distinct painting styles that we wanted to do the Kaligat, Padashitra paintings, and court paintings that we have at the museum, which sort of compressed it down a lot.
1: Great. So with that compression, did you find you had any challenges when you're bringing the elements together? Things like conservation challenges, or did you have to bring in other elements outside the collection to sort of really help focus in on what you were trying to display?
3: When it was initially going to be a physical exhibition, there were obviously some considerable conservation challenges. So we reviewed all the work that related to India with an external conservator who specialised in paper. And there were some kind of instability issues with the paint films and the primary supports, so the the paper and canvases. And so that was going to be an endeavour to get those works stable so that they can be framed and displayed for the length of time of the exhibition. So that was going to be an issue. But swapping to a digital exhibition, obviously those issues aren't as important because (laughs) all you need is a really good high-definition photo to kind of work from. So obviously that is one of the benefits of a physical exhibition, is that you kind of bring out these works and revitalise them, make sure they're stable and kind of a new lease on life. And then you know that when they're going back into the collection, they're in a really good condition. So we kind of missed out on that opportunity.
2: Carly Gart is a depiction of everyday life, but it can also be sensationalised, bold, highly figurative and impacted by individual artistic expression. Do you think that Kaligat paintings in this exhibition can help to facilitate an understanding of everyday life in 19th century India, or do they more accurately reflect the influence of made for market transcultural images, British Commission, and Indian artistic response? So,
0: to break this down a little bit, all cultural material is a reflection of the context of the time in which it was created. The Kaligats weren't intended for British Commission. But to help aid domestic worship. However, yeah, there were attempts to expand their audience. Yeah, not to say there was that the Western presence is not evident in the paintings. There are examples of Paligarh and Padashitra styles of painting depicting secular content, an attempt to reach that wider audience. But we don't have any examples of these within the Burnt collection. As a result of the Burnt's particular interest and focus in religious iconography. But the artists also did indicate their animosity towards the foothold of Western powers within India through depictions of their demons dressed in Western clothing. So there's several of the Kali Garts which show demons wearing like European style buckled shoes, which is quite interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. So, in line with what you're asking, perhaps it's better to consider the collection of the material. and. You know, that people were buying them as tokens of the exotic. I say that in quotations because you won't see me. Or for their use of, as examples of, idolatrous beliefs. Clearly incongruous with their predominant Christian belief systems that the Western kind of powers had. And the kind of, the attempts of the Christian missionaries to expand their influence in India. Which is, if you guys have read Kate Riddlebank's paper, which is really covered in that, and is kind of a particularly prominent part of the history of the Carlisle collection that we hold at the Berg museum.
2: That's great. I think Jeremy and I both read that for a class, or at least I did.
1: No, um, you definitely did. I haven't read it, but oh, I'm okay. making notes now because <laughs> that sounds like an absolutely fantastic read. Yes, <laughs> it's
2: a great read. And um, But it really focused quite heavily on the Kaligat selection. So could you tell yeah. us more and differentiate a bit between the court and the Padachitra styles as well?
3: The Padachitra paintings are predominantly, or well, the ones we have, are predominantly from the mid-20th century. We're pretty sure the birds collected most of them in the 1960s when they travelled to India themselves. They were doing kind of a a survey of anthropology and sociology departments in India. They got some grant money to go over and network and make connections and they had a lot of interest in bringing Asian studies over to Australia and kind of really early worked out the, the importance of doing that kind of thing. Yep, yeah, back to the patachutra patichut paintings. meaning painting on cloth, pretty simple. And they kind of started off as a, around Jagannath Temple, which is in Puri in Odisha. So just a bit further south down the east coast from Bengal, where all the, the Kali guts are from. And it really kind of started off as a practice where when Jagannath Temple was closed, all the iconography obviously wasn't accessible. To the pilgrims and people who just wanted to go and worship so they brought out these large paintings on cloth of the idols and the symbols and things like that for people outside to devote and worship to and then kind of from there it became a thing where pilgrims wanted their own little paracitras of the iconography to take home with them and then from there, it even expanded out again to just Hinduism narratives and stories and things, and it became a real market for devotional iconography. And then we have the core paintings, which kind of range from 18th to 19th century, the ones we have, which are predominantly from Rajasthan, which is the northwest, yeah. <laughs> I'm correct, kind of area of India, and these. There's quite a bit of different because there's a lot more historical influence. You're getting Islamic influence of the, the kind of the sultanates that conquered and held India for quite a while. And then you have the Mughal Empire, which came down from Central Asia. And they brought with them Persian court painting styles. And so the Indian kingdoms there took on this style of painting. So you're getting a, a real kind of prominence on portraiture of important figures, kings and things like that, you're getting a kind of a glimpse into palace life. So whether it's the Zanana where kind of the inner sanctum where the women were kept away or Hindu narratives, you're getting the illustrations of poetry as well. So there's this beautiful kind of interplay between written narratives, painting and stories.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a just a little side question on that. I've studied a little bit of like Persian epic poetry and those kind of manuscripts of illustrations. Was the format of the court paintings impacted by that? Are they separate pieces that came from a manuscript or do they feature calligraphy in that same kind of way that you would find in a Persian epic poem or?
3: You mean like written calligraphy? Yeah. Let me just start by saying no, like none of the ones we have. do. Um, (laughs) But yes, certainly other examples of the same things we have often do. So whether it's a, you know, a barramasa or thing, which is a poem about a season, a time in a year, and it's kind of a visual representation of what the mood is of that season and things like that. So, you would often get some kind of calligraphy to go with
1: that. We don't have any of that.
2: Thank you so much. That's really yeah. deep in the whole world and the distinctions between the three. So, thanks.
1: Yeah. It just sounds like such a diverse range of items that you're trying to represent. And you mentioned earlier that for the physical exhibition that brought in an an off-site conservator to sort of stabilize the paper for display and things like that with this switch to digital in some ways it must be easier but there must have been some other challenges so can you tell us a little bit about what the process was like to develop this as a digital exhibition as opposed to the physical one because i imagine it can't just be taking photos and simply putting them online there must be more to it
0: yeah well developing we sort of use the same process initially in developing the digital exhibition. So we had chosen a series of works that we wish to display and explore further. And so we looked at our database, which is like a compiled notes and annotations that the birds possibly had written or museum directors, past museum directors had written down like information about the works. And then so from there, we looked at external sources, so at publications. We have a lot of books here at the burnt in our reference library that we could use and to further explore the narratives. Michael and I had absolutely no experience in Hinduism or Indian art. So we were starting a very blank canvas. So yeah, I was definitely a bit overwhelmed with all <laughs> the things to start with, all the iconography that I didn't understand. Yeah, it was super interesting. We were getting a bit more familiar with the stories that were portrayed. We also cross-referenced with a lot of other institutions exhibitions and there are quite a few that are online so that was really helpful and we also got in contact with a professor here at UWA who is a professor in Asian Studies and she was able to help us a lot throughout the process and from there she also put us in contact with a professor in art history in India who helped us through some of our queries so that was really great but yeah definitely still some challenges kind of like different hurdles same race
3: (laughs) although you don't have a lot of
0: challenges that you do with physical exhibitions like where you're going to display things or conservation issues and all that there are yeah limitations especially because we haven't done this before and the university hasn't necessarily done an online exhibition before, so their website platform is limited in a way, but we're working through it, so it's been great. Great, (laughs)
1: Jen. It sounds like you've just sort of really had to sort of tackle it full force. I absolutely love it. Yeah, Uh, yeah. (laughs) Staying on that difference between digital and physical, how are these objects constructed? Is there a distinct visual difference between the cloth and the paper of the Caligat paintings? and Obviously, when you're looking at an image of an artwork or an icon online, some things could potentially be lost. Basically, what I'm asking is, what is the audience going to potentially miss out on seeing? Is there details that just can't be replicated on the screen, like the presence of the object as you stand before it? Or do you feel that with the research that you've obviously been doing, that that information is still going to be conveyed?
3: Definitely. I mean, there's nothing quite like standing in front of something physically. And unfortunately, yes, there will be elements that will be overlooked, I suppose. Like viewing anything on the web, it's hard to get a sense of scale, especially. So for example, the Color Guts, which are probably the largest works, and because they're on, work, on mass-produced paper, they're all kind of the same size and same scale, and you're not really get that. So the court paintings and the Palachitras are, are all different kind of sizes and formats and things. So obviously scale is a big issue, Also, the kind of fragility of the paper for the colour guts as well. You'll see there's damages and little tears and things around the edges because the paper is so fine. It's it's almost translucent.
1: It almost sounds Uh, like they're dealing with rice paper or something. Yeah.
3: yeah, Well, it just wasn't designed to last. And so, you know, when you do (laughs) try and preserve it indefinitely, yeah, these issues come up. So, yeah, they're very fragile, very kind of crispy. That's a technical term. and uh, (laughs) Yeah, so that you're not going to kind of get that as much as you would physically with them. Also, things like the court paintings have a huge amount of gold on them, ground-up gold leaf painted onto them. You'll see that there is gold, but you're not going to get that beautiful shimmer that you get as you walk around them from different angles and things.
0: And same with the colour guts.
3: Yeah, so the colour guts have brown tin, the beautiful kind of silver line work as well. Does that sort of stuff have a
2: texture as well to it on the surface?
3: Definitely the tin. Yeah, it's definitely got a protrusion. Just the fact that it does kind of shimmer makes it, it, you do feel like it's kind of just sitting, almost like kind of floating on the surface because obviously it catches the light and stands off.
1: That special, almost magical moment that an extra layer of dimension can give to an image to sort of take it from something that's on paper to something that's more do you know
3: exactly yeah. yeah i mean there's just a few examples but yeah definitely
2: well even that we've talked about all that we've lost moving online <laughs> <laughs> um, our next question is about whether there's actually been any benefits to moving online and will this be a focus in later exhibitions
0: yeah definitely so it's opened the door for future opportunities to present material from the collection on another platform So as Michael had said earlier, scale is far less relevant on a digital space which will allow us to showcase collections which might get lost or wouldn't necessarily fill our physical space. So we are planning to do a digital exhibition next year sometime on Japanese Netsuke, (laughs) which are teeny tiny little small carved ornaments especially made. Of ivory wood, which are worn as part of Japanese traditional dress as a toggle attached to the sash of the kimono. So I, if we were to display those in our exhibition space, it would be like
1: <laughs> one cabinet. Yeah. One <laughs> cabinet. You have no idea how well you probably do because you saw me just pumping fists in the air. How yeah. excited I am for that! Like that is just an absolute passion of mine, and the fact that you can bring what admittedly, is a rather niche <laughs> form of art practice that might not necessarily get its sort of moment in the sun that you can display digitally. It's just like, if you need a thumbnail for anything, it's just me pumping fists because that's, that's, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I love that you're sort of bringing from the shadows these, these beautiful, beautiful objects that are often overlooked. I think that's yeah. yeah,
3: they're pretty cool. And I think if it was going to end up being a, a physical show, you'd obviously have to bring in other elements to fill the space. So you'd have to maybe look at bringing in kimonos and things like that and other Japanese dress culture and stuff like that. Make it but, like a broader uh, narrative. Well, yeah. Right now, can really- yeah, they're really cool. Love them.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're not the only one.
0: <laughs> Just drawing on like the benefits of doing this exhibition online is that we were, especially with the Kali Arts, site, we were able to display so many more to be able to conserve all of those and make sure that they were exhibition ready would have taken so much time and money.
3: Yeah, I think when we were discussing it it was maybe like five out of 60 that we might have been able to, to have ready to frame and display.
0: So now we've got about 33.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a significant broadening of scope. Yeah, yeah. that's because yeah, it's that's, you know it's
3: a timely and costly endeavor and certainly with COVID-19 and the, the situation that the university is in now, not viable. So it's been a great opportunity to push the exhibition through anyway. And yes, you do lose some things, but you also gain a lot. And thankfully, the works have such rich narratives behind them that that is significant. It's pretty important to talk about the culture that they're touching on and the broader narratives that they're illustrating and exploring, which we've tried to do. It's going to be a (laughs) text-heavy exhibition. (laughs) Especially because, as Sophie said, we had no real understanding of Hinduism going into this or the narratives that were kind of being explored or the history. So it was a massive learning curve for us. And I think that really highlighted to us how important it is that everyone else has an understanding of this if they were in that situation, I'm not saying that everyone's as clueless as we were, <laughs> but we felt there's some really amazing things being talked about and explored and we wanted everyone to be able to grasp that as well.
2: That's great. And speaking of kind of curatorial creativity and like going from five color gut paintings to 30 and thinking about just like the sight lines and the space of an online exhibition. We wanted to know, does the ability to have complete control over a digital space make curating an exhibition like this more freeing, in a sense? Or does working within the limitations of a physical space help the curatorial process?
0: There were equally the same number of limitations, I would say. Mm. We didn't have to worry about the safety of the objects or how they were to be displayed as you would in a physical exhibition but yeah as I said there were no conservation requirements and issues with the digital space it was just different.
3: Obviously there's costs (laughs) a lot more costs involved with a physical exhibition you know you're building the space if you want to change it you're painting the walls you're getting vinyl printed you're having your didactics printed and designed and your banners and your, your whatnots. And then obviously a lot of labour involved in that. So one of the benefits of the digital exhibition is that we're nearly working on a zero budget. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, certainly there's still a lot of restrictions. Obviously we're working with, into the UWA web platform, uh, which Sophie said, it's not designed for an exhibition. And so it's been difficult negotiating all the, Hoops that we have to jump through, and the kind of the limitations of what we're working with the platform that we're working with. But we've been doing it. It's been happening. It's, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say there's a lot more freedom. Sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is it as simple as just like we're going to take the concept of this exhibition and the vision and shift it online, or did you also have to do some conscious shifting of the like mission statement and what you wanted the exhibition to express when you moved to online?
3: Well, definitely, I touched on it when we're talking about the amount of explanation that we wanted to give to such of the works. That was definitely something that was far more viable in a digital setting. So when we can have an extended label for every work, which if it was physical, probably they would be as big as the actual works themselves.
0: Yeah, people do you not know. spend a long time on
3: spaces. <laughs> you know, which is very overwhelming if you've got to block a block of text next to a work less than A4. So we do have the advantage of being able to hide that text behind a, a click to expand and things like that. So that was something we definitely kind of considered and thought, well that's great because that works well.
0: It was difficult trying to grasp how the narrative would flow online because you don't necessarily want people just scrolling down forever. Like you yeah, we wanted <laughs> to be quite fluid and
1: you didn't want it yeah, to end up looking through... like a Tumblr post or something like no,
0: that. No, yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: so,
0: yeah, that was quite difficult to envisage, But, uh, yeah, we're getting there. Trying to, like, explore each, because we obviously have our three distinct painting styles that we're focusing on, so how to, like, separate those, but yeah. make it really user-friendly.
3: Because and, yeah. and you, you can't, you know, like, in a physical space, you can obviously play works off each other, People can directly compare and contrast and things. So I think going into a digital platform, we really had to think about how we were going to present the works and how it was going to be different. And we would have to kind of sacrifice the ability to do those kinds of things.
2: Thank you so much. It's been really cool to hear about how you've had to deal with and work within the weird and bizarre circumstances (laughs) of the year. Yeah, it's really great.
1: Yeah, no, it's been absolutely fascinating hearing how you've sort of put this Expressions of India exhibition together. Just sort of want to focus a little bit now, if we can, on the Burnt in general. If you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about the broader mission of the Burnt and how you see this exhibition connecting into it?
0: Well, the general mission of the Burnt Museum, I would say, is to preserve and provide access to an array of cultural material, celebrating diversity in regards to people and place and time, So in this exhibition, there's a strong connection to the Burnts themselves, the material is directly tied to their research and relationships with community when they were over in India, and obviously their personal interest in Asian culture history and life.
3: And the Burnts believed that material culture was not merely about static objects, but more an insight into the surrounding context and stories they tell? and they championed the activation of an object's utility and that by researching and displaying this material, one is kind of breathing new life into these works.
2: Well, Jeremy and I are current students and the Lawrence Wilson Art Gallery is on UWA campus and both of you are UWA alums. So how do you see the Burns engagement and connection with UWA students? Are there any initiatives or projects that you would like to grow? Yeah, for sure.
0: Currently the museum provides a practicum placement once a semester for students. So that's what I completed in 2017 and we've had a few students come through with that, giving an insight into the realities of working in a museum.
1: Underlined realities.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I love that sinister chuckle of just like we're gonna make you work for the art that you love. <laughs>
0: We also conduct regular tours with student groups, so typically arts and anthropology groups, but also future students through the Aspire program, we heard of. We contribute engagement and knowledge development through our public programs, publications, which for Expressions of India, we're also doing an occasional paper, and exhibitions, and even podcasts like this. And also I might mention Jeremy, your exhibition on my collection, so that was a little student
1: endeavour. That was such Ray. a fun experience. I was actually going to tack on to Maya's question a little bit about that, the student engagement, some of the initiatives that you offer, like the my collection, are just incredibly rewarding and valuable. And I know personally from my experience of going through the archives and doing the research and and helping curate, even in just a small part, it's propelled my learning immensely yes. and has opened up so many opportunities and. It's such a valuable service. And I I love that it's an active mission statement from everyone involved.
3: That's one of the initiatives that's kind of a collaborative thing with the Lawrence Wilson. So obviously working with them provides some really cool interdisciplinary initiatives. And Um, I would
0: say just for anyone looking to get into the industry, get out there, try and do those practicums and those placements and see if you like it, volunteer, pretty small fields. Say yes to everything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Earth is a small um, place, everyone knows everybody. Yeah. <laughs> be nice to everyone as well. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely um, be nice in these trying times.
3: But also, like looking into the future, we strongly feel that a permanent object related learning space will provide significantly greater opportunities for us and engagement with students. We're also hoping to work towards digitising the collection, so making it accessible online, obviously kind of broadens our reach and engagement, both nationally and internationally. So that's something we're really hoping to get off the ground.
2: Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been really valuable and very educational as well. No, thanks for having us, Maya and Jeremy.
0: It's
1: been great. Thanks thank you. Thank you so much for your time. We really just can't wait for the exhibition to go live. Do you have a date for that at the moment? I think the 11th. The 11th. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, so it goes live on the 11th and then we're all looking forward to the eventual reopening of the museum itself. Thank you so much guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah.
0: No Thank you. Thanks, guys.